back to another episode of Hear Me Out. I know you guys have been waiting a long time for this and it has been loading for a long time, trust me. But I wanted to wait until the new year to bring something special to you guys. This is something coming from my heart. Although it's a little different, it's not coming from me. This is actually coming from my sister, Aminata Marah. I've entrusted her with the reins to come to you guys about a very special topic, which is self-love and all the things that hinder us from achieving this and coming into the actualization of self-love. So she speaks on this topic very beautifully. And although it may sound like me, it is not my voice, of course, you know, it's a little more huskier, but you guys will enjoy it just the same. So I hope you guys take something from this. Of course, remember to like, share, comment, subscribe. Of course, you guys gotta follow and support Aminata. She has her page Intimate on Instagram, where she shares all her lovely music that God has given her to bless and inspire all of you guys. So I'll link that below. And yeah, let's get into the episode. Hey guys, my name is Ami, and I'm super excited to be recording this episode of Hear Me Out. I'd like to start by just thanking God for the opportunity to speak on this episode, and I would also like to thank the host, Kaya, for inviting me to talk about self-love. Yeah, that's right. We're talking about self-love today. So what is self-love? We can reduce the definition of self-love and just say that it's simply just loving yourself. But in doing that, we miss out on the details of what it really means and what it actually looks like. So let's unpack self-love a little more. Self-love is much more than a spa day, reading a book, or a spontaneous vacation you go on because you're stressed. Real self-love is actually found in choosing to see yourself the way God sees you. And recently I've realized that when we choose to see ourselves from our own perspective, we almost always point out something either externally or internally that we don't like, that we're ashamed of, or that makes us feel unworthy. However, when that point of view is consciously shifted to God's perspective, it is then we actually learn to embrace and accept the fearful and wonderful aspects of our identity, both internally and externally. But I've also come to understand that it's easier said than done because in taking this perspective, a conscious effort needs to be made. The same way we make time to take care of ourselves through self-care activities that enhance our physical, mental, and emotional functioning, we also have to be intentional about learning and studying and meditating on and dwelling on what God says concerning us. Because the fact is, no amount of self-care activity or activities can help you love yourself. It is only through God and his word that unconditional love for yourself can grow. 
on our own, we don't have the capacity to love ourselves. That's why the Bible commands us to love in a specific order. It tells us that we should love God first with everything that we have. And then it's out of the overflow of that love for God, that love tank for God, that we're now able to love ourselves. And out of the overflow of that, we're now able to extend that love to others. So when we unpack this and we take a closer look, we're able to see that when it comes to self-love, God is actually at the foundation of our ability to love ourselves because he is love. God is the full expression of love. It is through God's word that you'll learn your true value, that you'll actually see your worth. And through the overflow of God's love, that you'll grow to fully embrace and accept every one of your strengths and every area of improvement. Just imagine yourself looking in the mirror and loving what you see. Imagine waking up every morning, standing in front of the mirror and actually loving and fully embracing what you see. Because what you see aligns with what God sees when he looks at you. What you see aligns with what God has spoken over you. Imagine looking within yourself and embracing everything you've been through, every aspect of your character, of your personality, because you see how God has pieced you together in such a unique way and you see how he uses or how he's using, rather, all of that to build your life. Because you understand that when God sees you, he's looking right at you through eyes of compassion. You learn that you don't have to explain away your shortcomings because God sees them already. And he understands. And that's enough. You learn to forgive yourself because you begin to see yourself as forgiven and loved. You learn to set healthy boundaries that help you to preserve your energy. You learn to live boldly and intentionally because God has made you bold and given you a unique purpose. However, on the flip side of all this, self-love, accepting and choosing to see yourself the way God sees you, on the flip side is that we don't always choose to actually adopt this perspective. Instead, we choose to see ourselves through the lens of trauma and the negative child experiences that have impacted us into adulthood. Now, when we're talking about trauma, it's important to understand that um, the severity of it varies from person to person, depending on the kind of childhood they had. However, when we look at trauma from a general scope, when it's left unaddressed, it is still extremely destructive. Trauma is intrusive and it resurfaces whenever it wants to. Trauma manipulates our belief system by using past experiences to justify the negative emotions and beliefs it triggers. 
And unaddressed trauma can lead to a life of continuous and repeated projection. Projection is a negative form of defense. It's when we attribute unwanted qualities or behaviors that we despise within ourselves, but we take them and we attribute them to other people or other situations. Projection is a way of avoiding having to acknowledge a traumatic event. It manages discomfort associated with trauma by making it seem as though the traumatic event never actually happened directly to that individual. And projection from childhood trauma can look like always accusing or calling out a friend for being too needy or emotionally dependent on others when in reality they aren't. You're just attributing your own qualities on them because it's easier for you to point it out in somebody else um, than for you to acknowledge and address it within yourself. Because by acknowledging and addressing it within yourself, it now becomes a reality. And you're now acknowledging that you as an individual are needy. You as an individual are emotionally dependent on other people. So projection disassociates the individual from the negative feeling or experience. And it, and it inaccurately represents um, a reality. So What happens now when you realize that your ability to love yourself and see yourself from God's perspective has been stunted because of childhood trauma? What happens when enough people have told you that you need to stop projecting your negative emotions and traumatic experiences on it? You acknowledge it and you allow yourself to heal because the truth is you can only continue in that cycle of suppressing your traumatic experiences and avoiding having to address them. You can only continue in that cycle of projection and projecting your negative emotions and traumatic experiences on other people for so long before it all just becomes too much. So what you really just have to do is acknowledge it and allow yourself to heal. The only way to truly heal from childhood trauma and free yourself from projecting habits is to revisit the traumatic event. Traumatic events often bring about negative emotions. And until those emotions are processed and experienced in their raw form, they'll continue to occupy space in the mind and the body and disrupt various areas of your life. Until trauma is uncovered and processed, It'll continue to resurface and rob you of your joy. It'll continue to resurface and rob you of your peace. And it'll continue to resurface and cause you to be emotionally unstable. So let's take a look at what a healthy response to trauma looks like. A healthy response to trauma immediately recognizes when a boundary has been violated. When there has been a direct attack on an individual's sense of self. The next immediate step or the next thing that happens is that negative emotions start to surface in response to that boundary breach or in response to that violation. Whether it's anger, whether it's sadness, whether it's rejection, the emotions start to surface. 
what the individual now, now does with those emotions is that they begin to process those emotions. They don't suppress them. They don't explain them away. They don't reject them, but they allow themselves to feel them and explore them until they're able to realize that, okay, these emotions don't actually have an impact on my sense of self in a negative way. Okay, these emotions that I'm feeling aren't actually directed at my identity. So they allow themselves to feel these emotions as they surface. They don't reject them, they don't suppress them, and they don't try to explain them away. But they allow themselves to feel the emotions in their raw form. Enough so that they can come to the realization that the emotions that they are feeling currently do not have a direct impact on their sense of self. That the emotions that they're feeling currently do not have a direct impact on their identity or on who they are. So in coming to this realization, through allowing themselves to process and feel the emotions in their raw form, they're able to now release these emotions because they have processed them. They have acknowledged the breach, acknowledged the emotion, and process the emotion. That's why they are now able to release the emotion or the emotions. However, it doesn't always flow this way, especially as children, seeing that we're talking about childhood trauma. So as children, they aren't able to process traumatic violations on their sense of self as an adult would be able to. So what an adult is able to process and rationalize that, okay, the anger or the rejection that I'm feeling right now doesn't directly impact my sense of self. Yes, I've been violated, but it doesn't have a direct impact on my sense of self, so I can let it go. But a child takes that violation as a direct attack on their sense of self, as a direct attack on their identity. So they internalize it. And that's what then results in them carrying that childhood trauma into their adulthood because of their lack of understanding of how to actually process traumatic events. They quickly internalize and suppress. So and now addressing childhood trauma that has crippled into adulthood, the first step is really identifying and acknowledging what happened. So in identifying and acknowledging what happened, we are bringing to light the traumatic event. We are putting words, we are putting language to what took place. So in this process, it's important to try to not use words like it or thing when referring to the event or when referring to what took place. 
bring it to light, and describe it as it happened. When we use accurate and specific language to describe the event, the traumatic event, we are creating a way for the emotions attached to that event to resurface. It's almost like we're trying to call it back to life. In doing so, you're giving yourself the opportunity to acknowledge and accept that, yes, this event took place. It was a reality. And I believe that this is actually the biggest barrier to healing from childhood trauma. Revisiting a traumatic event can be, can be challenging. But it's important to know that you cannot heal from what you continue to suppress and what you refuse to process. You can only heal from trauma by allowing yourself to feel and process the negative emotions surrounding that traumatic event. And to properly process something, you have to go back to when that event took place and explore the emotions surrounding it. You cannot heal until you accept that you actually have to feel everything you've been running away from to overcome what you've been running away from. And once you get past this, you'll be able to pay attention to the feelings that resurface and experience them in their raw form. This simply means that as the feelings come, let them sit. Like we said earlier, don't reject it. Don't try to explain it away. Don't try to suppress it. Just feel it. Let the anger sit. Let the frustration sit. Let the rejection sit. Let the sadness sit. Feel it in its raw and full form. And if you can share it with a trusted individual, do so. Believe me, there's liberty in sharing the things that have kept you bound with people that care about you. And once you've thoroughly processed by acknowledging that, yes, this traumatic event took place, it happened. And by identifying it, putting words to the specific details of what took place, and by allowing yourself to feel the emotions attached and sharing with the trusted individual, you can now let it go. Because guess what? The energy and the heaviness from the emotions you've bottled up are no longer stored in your mind and your body. You've allowed your body, you've allowed your mind and your body to actually process, to actually grieve. It's when we don't allow our minds and our bodies to do what they're naturally supposed to do with difficult information or traumatic events that lead us into shock. It's when we don't allow our minds and our bodies to process this, that it bottles it up and it stores it. And that's all we have for today. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I hope you learned something. And I hope that as you continue on your journey of self-love, or as you embark on your journey of self-love, that you cling to the view and perspective that God sees you through, through the eyes of love, through the eyes of self-compassion, through the eyes of forgiveness. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. 